There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. has left me. If you would take your Bibles to John chapter number 21. I want to show you how much he loves you. John chapter number 21. And let's all stand out of honor and reverence to God's word. Our young people, our children going to children's chapel. You can make your way down this hall into the back there. and There'll be someone there to worship the Lord Jesus in children's church. John chapter number 21. We have been studying the feasts of Jesus, I believe. We may have one more feast that we'll look at next week. But I want us to look at another one of the feasts of the Lord Jesus. This one takes place after the cross, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look this morning at a morning feast, a morning feast. Notice in John chapter 21, look at verse number 1, we'll read down through verse number 14. John 21, verse number 1, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. They were together, Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee. And the two sons of Zebedee and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I go fishing. And they said unto him, We also will go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was come, notice that, there's our morning. When the morning was come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded him his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a, a little ship, for they were not far from the land, as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with the fishes. And soon, then, as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and the fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. And Simon went up and drew the net of the uh, drew the net to the land full of great fishes, and a hundred and fifty-three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. 
Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth, giveth them and fish likewise. Now, this is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after that He was risen from the dead. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, I want to speak to you this morning on a morning feast. A morning feast. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning and I thank you uh, for your love. I bask in that love this morning, your care for your people. Father, we pray as she sung a moment ago that we would see that love transparent in this text. Your, Your great love, your care for us. You'll not leave us to ourselves and our own selfish ability and our own self-sufficiency, but Father, You'll seek us out and You'll draw us and show us that without Jesus, we're nothing. Oh God, speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I like going to Home Depot and to Lowe's. I walk up and down the aisles and just get idea after idea of projects that I can half do. I had to put the half do in there because Carrie's truth detector would have went off if I didn't say half do. You see, these stores, they don't help much with their commercials and their advertisements. They show people doing awesome stuff, like painting the house and and building stuff, and kids playing on swings that have been built with stuff from Lowe's. I mean, you just can't beat that. They tell you, you got this. You can do this. Together, we can build something, you know. And so much of of that actually uh, think that they can do, it makes me think I can do these projects. I don't need to hire somebody. I I can build that room. I can... I can put that trim up in that doorway and figure out how to cut it like Brother David. That I can do that. Amen. I like going to those places. You know, these stores are set up for those who think they can take care of everything themselves. They, instead of calling a plumber, they'll go buy the plumbing and they'll put it in themselves. Instead of calling an electrician, they'll put the plugs in the, in the wall and wire the sockets and do it all themselves. These stores have made millions off of making people believe that they can do it themselves, that they can do it in their own, on their own, and they don't need anybody's help. You know, there's a lot of people in our churches today, Christians, that live by that whole Home Depot kind of mentality and attitude. I got this. I can handle this. I can do it. There's no problem with it. I I can take care of things myself. Dr. Tony Evans said that there are some people who are used to being their own boss, captain of their own faith, master of their own ship. And they're so used to doing it themselves that that though they, they that even though they will breathe a prayer every now and then, they'll they're fairly self-sufficient people. You know, they look, at, they look at the Christian life and they say to themselves, I got this. I can do this. Read my Bible, pray, go to church, sing a few songs, and, and I am set. I can knock on the door. I got this thing. This Christian life is I, I, it's doable. I can do this. But the Christian life is not constructed to be a do-it-yourself project. You see... 
And the life of a believer is not one of character sufficiency. It is of Christ's dependency. It is constructed for us to depend on something outside of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not Paul, the great apostle Paul, wrote the Bible and everything. I mean, one millions to Jesus all over the face of the known world at the time. What did he say? Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is in God. Philippians 4.13, I bet you got a coffee cup in the house or a picture on the wall that says this. I can do all things. Through Christ that strengthens me. You see, the Christian life is made such that you can't handle it on your own. You can't do it. Here in this text, we have a this mentality of dependency vividly captured uh, for us in the, in the fishing expedition of these disciples. You see, Peter just comes out and says it. I go fishing. Look in verse number Number three, Peter, Simon Peter, this is the leader of the apostles. This is, this is the one that's kind of head of the whole thing. And he just blurts it out. I go fishing. I go fishing. I'm going fishing, fellas. I'm going back to that which is familiar. It's enough of this waiting around. I know we got to wait 40 days. Uh, but we got to take care of some things. We, we're running out of funds. We need some money. Uh, we, we, I, I can't continue just to sit around and wait around uh, I've got to get something going here. I'm going fishing. I'm gonna take. I got to do something. It's time to take the bull by the horns. It's time to uh, to take the reins of this wagon train and and get something done. He's going to go fishing, and and all the majority of the disciples, if you'll count them up, I believe there's seven of the eleven. Says I'm going, Peter. You know you're right. I'm going to go with you. It's time to do something. That's enough of this sitting around, nothing that's waiting around. I know we're supposed to wait till Jesus comes and endues with power on high, but we got to do something right now. Let's get something done. So they head out in a boat. The majority of them follow. One preacher said this, you try to, you try to do something for God and people will come up with a thousand excuses not to get involved, but if you set out to do some fleshly venture, there'll be no lack of partners in it. It's like you teenagers, you invite Four or five kids to Sunday school from school. I ain't no way. You invite them to a party at your house. You won't be able to beat them off with a stick. They'll be there, you know. Here we find all these people joining in on this venture. You know, you know when you go into self-sufficiency, you know, you'll, you'll take people with you. Dad, when you go into a self-sufficiency mode, I got this. When you put it in cruise control in your Christian life, you know you'll take your wife with you. You'll take your kids with you. That self-sufficient attitude, it makes its way all, permeates all through the house. Where does self-sufficiency put us? Just where it put these disciples. Look at what it says. Verse number four. And verse number three, I go fishing. And when they said to him, we all go, go with you. And they went forth and entered in the ship immediately. And that night, they caught nothing. Where does the self-sufficient life lead? It leads to darkness and emptiness. It leads to, to spiritual darkness, spiritual uh, uh, exile away from things. It leads, it leads to an unproductive, unfruitful, dark and isolated situation. But thank God they're not left to their own self-sufficiency, self-abilities. 
No, that is when Jesus walks into the scene and inviting them to a table of provision. He walks back into their lives and affirms what He taught them years ago in John 15, 5. For without me you can do nothing. Isn't that where we find these disciples? Absolutely nothing. They tried. They tried it on their own. They tried going back to that which was familiar. They tried to make something of themselves. They tried to be productive. And what did they find? Emptiness isolation but there's Jesus there listen does this moment find you far from Christ doing your best that you can possibly do you're here this morning and you are the epitome of the self life I've got this all I've got to do is fill out a couple of check marks every week and I am good with my Christian life read my Bible pray go to church sing a few songs and and I'm done man I'm not Why is everybody talking about this Christian life being so hard? You have got it wrapped up. You've got it all neatly in a bow. But the truth of the matter is, if you look beneath that bow, if you look down in that present, there's nothing but emptiness. An empty shell. The intimacy that you once knew with walking with Christ and knowing Him, the victory that you had in your life is nowhere to be found. You're you're living a checklist, not a Christian experience. Does this account find you using all of your might, the best you can, to be the best Christian you can be? I'm telling you, that is a first class ticket to failure. Just with these disciples. In the dark and fruitless, without anything to show for it. And yet, Jesus meets them in the midst of their self-trial, their self-ability, doing it on their own, Jesus encounters them. Jesus is reaching out to you this morning. He's inviting you to a table, a table of sufficiency, a table of provision, a table of His love and of His care. Wouldn't you like to feast on that this morning? Are you tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you tired of defeat after defeat after defeat? Listen, there's a table spread this morning. There's a table spread by Jesus. And if you'll come and leave behind your self-sufficiency, you can find His all-sufficiency. See, Jesus is reaching out in provision and sufficiency. You know, every one of us today can be fed off of this sustaining feast of Jesus by following three instructions that I want to draw from this text. Number one, I want you to see the first instruction. Listen for the interrupting call of Jesus. Listen for the interrupting call of Jesus. You know, while the disciples of Jesus were absorbed in their self-sufficient endeavors, Jesus was watching from the shore. (laughs) He was watching them do it. A lot of times my dad would tell me to go, go do something, show me how to do it, and then sit back and watch me not do it the way he said to do it, and watch me flounder and make a mess of the situation, and then finally... Kind of step in. Now, are you, are you going to do it the way I told you? Because I'm going to show you how to do it. If you just listen to me, yeah, I, I, I can hear that echo in my mind from my dad. Here's Jesus. He's watching from the shore. He's watching them cast net after net 
after net. They go over here a while. They go over there a while. They go here, there, 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 everywhere, there, there. And they're throwing out the nets and there's nothing coming in on that boat. Can you hear them arguing? Peter's saying, well, I know how to do it. We go over here. James and John, I, we'll do it over here. Thomas don't know nothing about fishing. All he can do is talk bad about the trip. I knew he wasn't going to catch anything. I told you. No, here, here Jesus is watching all of this play out. You remember, Jesus has often done this. You remember he was in the mount praying when they were on the stormy seas and the boat was rocking and he saw them pulling hard against the wave. He was watching. He's going to come walking in the midnight hour on the waters to them. Here, he's going to meet them on the beach with all the provision that he needs. Listen, Jesus is watching in your self-effort. You want to go it on your own? You want to give it a shot living the Christian life without being dependent upon Him? You want to pull yourself up by your bootstraps? You can do it. And He'll sit there and watch. Watch you fail. Watch you come back empty handed Watch you be in the dark. Notice, first of all, we see His compassionate address. Jesus calls out them in verse number 5. Jesus said to them, Children, have you any meat? Notice that word children. He calls them children. Now this term is a, is a term of familiarity. It is, it is an affectionate, kind term. The word literally, literally means little children. Beloved children. Here is a, a group of supposed disciples of His yielded to His cause and purpose, going back to that familiar life and not a life of faith, and seemingly throwing off their duties and what Christ has told them to do as servants of the living God and serving themselves and doing what they think they ought to be doing. And Jesus approaches them and He calls them, Hey little boys, hey my children out there. You know, John uses this same term when he talks to those beloved children in his epistle letters. Hey, little boys and girls. Hey, children. It's an affectionate term. Hey, my, hey, hey, boy. Hey, girl. Hey, little ones. Listen to me. He is calling out to them in, in, in kindness and in love. You know, never forget, even when you're in the throes of a self-life, you're, do, you're trying to get by any way that you can. You're trying to do it on your own. Fix your own self. Make your own way of solving life's problems. I want you to know Jesus still possesses you as His own. He still counts you as part of His family, His brother, His sister, His son and daughter in Christ. And He calls to you affectionately. Affectionately. When you are rebelliously trying to handle it yourself, He still calls you His child. He still loves you. He still calls you as His own. He still affectionately calls. No momentary act of rebellion is going to change the engraving of your name upon His hands. He still calls you His own. He still calls out to you. You're in the middle of a mess that you've made of your own trying, your own knowledge, your own ability, your own trying to cope with things. And Jesus calls lovingly, Child, child, I know where you are, child. I know your need. He calls affectionately. No, no, notice the Jesus question. Have you any meat? The word uh, suggests you have 
Do you have anything to go with bread? It's the, it's the term of meat. Particularly here he's referring to fish. Anything that will go with bread. Hey guys, have you got anything to eat? Are you, are you nourished right? Jesus is concerned with their well-being. You know, maybe it was the hunger that drove them to the self-preserving act. Instead of turning to God and saying, God, you've told us to wait on you. You've told us to pray and seek your face. Our bellies are empty. We're hungry, Lord Jesus. And they wait in silence from some answer to heaven. Finally, one of them says, that's it. I'm going fishing. God gave me hands and feet and ability and a brain. I'm going to do it my way. I'll just, I'll just, I won't pray about it. I won't. God's given me this ability. He's given it for a reason. I don't have to pray about it. I just go out there and do it. Take care of my friends. Take care of my, of my responsibilities. And so they go out there. No doubt they were hungry when they started. And now they've toiled all night without anything, anything to eat. <coughs> They're not eating for a while and Jesus seems to be asking, Guys, children, are you okay? Are you okay out there? Do you have anything to eat? No doubt they're weakened from a, you take those nets and you toss them out there and pull them in. Toss them out there, pull them in, row that boat. All the work they put into, no doubt they're physically frail and weak. And Jesus didn't care and said, Hey, listen, are you alright? Do you have everything you need out there? You're doing it on your own. I'm going to let you do that, but do you have what you need out there? Are your lives in peril? How many times have I come and sat in church when I was on this side of the pulpit and everything's wrong in my life and I'm far from God. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And I hear, Son, are you okay? Son, are you, do you have what you need? Are you, are you, make, are you going to be alright? You're doing it on your own right now and I just want to make sure. Do you have everything that you need? Listen, you may be wrapped up all in yourself right now, but that will not diminish Jesus' compassion for you. It's a compassionate call. He's calling to you this morning. You, you, you your, your, your life's a mess right now. You're a Christian. You've trusted the Lord. You believed on Him, but the truth of the matter is you're a wreck right now. Sin owns you. False, a false premise of who you are and your own personal value to God has been diminished. You're in a dark place. You're, you're in a self-sufficient self-world. And Jesus is calling through His Word this morning. Are you okay? Are you alright? He loves you. You're His child. His compassionate address. Notice His compelling advice. Verse number six, they said, No, I can hear, I can hear Thomas say, Of course not. I'm not called anything. Verse number six, and he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Notice the response was no. The whole evening, I can imagine Thomas saying, I doubt we're going to catch anything. We never catch anything. Uh, Peter was in the boat. I know where the fish fell as I fished the 
the Tiberias Lake before and, and we're supposed to go over there by that inlet, near that inlet over there. That's where the fish are. James and John says, no, no, no. Peter, you don't know what you're talking about. It's over in the shoals, those shallows over there. Me and John, we've been here time and time again. This is where, and it's just back and forth, going back and forth. Can you imagine the frustration that set in as hunger gnawed at their stomach? Buddy, I tell you what, when you get me hungry, I lose my ministry facade. Amen. I get hungry. I get irritated. I get to be a bear. Imagine these guys at each other's throat trying to catch something, can't catch nothing in the water. It's interesting to note how that H.V. Morton describes that he was in that country, in that region, and he saw two men using that ancient method of fishing. He was talking about how that they had those round nets and they had those uh, leaded balls on the end and they would take that net and expertly throw it out in the water and you could see that net just in a circle go out to the water and in one splash they would hit the water and that man would pull it in as he's watching the man fish out in the shallows he wasn't bringing back anything they weren't on a boat or anything like that weren't bringing anything in and then uh, in his description it says one waded out in the shore casting the bell into the water but time after time he came out empty while he was waiting for another cast, Abdul, evidently on the shore, shouted to him from the bank that he should uh, fling the, fling the uh, net to the left. And sure enough, when he did that, he brought in a few fish inside that net. They were flopping around. And, and the reason for this is sometimes in that fishing situation, the man on the shore has a better perspective of what's in the water than the man wading out into the shoals, into that water. He had a better perspective from the shore. These disciples were doing it their way in no effect. And Jesus calls out to them with instructions that are fruitful. He comes in and says, guys, you've been doing this your way for a while. Why don't you take my suggestion and do it my way? Now, whether it be divine, heavenly insight, Jesus could have been in Timbuktu and told them, take the net and put it on the right side. It doesn't necessarily matter if Jesus saw fish in the shallows from the shore or whether it was. He saw something that they didn't see. The truth of the matter is, Jesus' way is always the better way. He always knows better. I don't care if you are a rocket scientist. Jesus always knows better. I don't care if you are genuinely the teenager that knows everything. Jesus knows better. And it's not you, Auden. Jesus knows better. You see, here He gives them exactly what they need. Jesus is calling us back to His way of thinking. His Word is shaking us from the blindness of our own reason and calling us to say with Peter, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, we will let down the nets. Jesus is calling you to do it His way. You've tried the self-life. You've tried doing it your way. 
You've tried defeating sin your own way. You've tried to battle Satan and his onslaught in your life your way, the way you know you can. And here's Jesus calling, hey, listen, won't you do it my way? I care for your soul. The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill. I've come that they might have life and might have it more abundantly. John 10.10 Jesus is calling you today. Come my way. Do what I've said. I know you don't understand everything. I know you don't know why in the world it means so much to have a life of dependency upon Jesus. Waking up tomorrow and saying, Jesus, I need you and mean it from the depths of your heart. I don't know why that makes such a difference. But Jesus says, would you do it my way for a change? Maybe you've done it your way long enough. And now Jesus is knocking at your heart's door. Child... My beloved child, you have anything? Have you produced anything? Are you getting anywhere in the self-life? Why don't you try it my way? Why don't you this morning, why don't you just say, I'm going to try it Jesus' way. I'm going to throw off my own thing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. Why don't you take your own wisdom, your own knowledge, your own know-how and throw it out the door. Notice second of all, we must not only listen for the interrupting call of Jesus, but we must look for the intentional clarity of Jesus. Now Jesus is not trying to hide himself from, from them who he is. Like the morning sunrise, the shades of night uh, as the, uh, uh, melted away little by little. At the morning feast, Jesus is awakening these disciples from the nightmare of a failed self-life. Proverbs 30 and verse number 5, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 143, Come, come, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning, for in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto thee. Jesus is called Causing them to know Him. To recognize Him. Notice in verse number 6. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Verse number 7. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It's the Lord. It's Jesus. Notice first of all we see a familiar result. In these verses uh, it seems... Uh, this seemingly unknown voice calling them from the shore was obeyed by these disciples. They maybe, maybe they didn't recognize the voice. Maybe the echoes, uh, uh, the Bible says that they were about 200 cubits from the shore. Uh, look that up, that's about a, a length of a football field. How many of you can readily recognize a voice from the other end of a football field calling out to you? It might not have been too recognizable. They heard what was said. They did what was said. What they got was not the average catch. Again, our text said that there was a, these were large fish, 153. And it was a miracle. It, it seems to indicate it was a miracle that the net didn't break. There were so many fish. This is not your average catch of a handful of fish. This was a miraculous Catch an astounding number of fish. 
They had tried and tried and tried and tried their own instinct, their own know-how, their own direction for a productive catch. But this was the direction of Jesus and that made all the difference. You know, this was not the first time this had happened. In Luke uh, chapter number 5, Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing. He comes to the shore and Jesus says, push out into the deep and there you'll catch a draught. Remember I read that text earlier and from Luke where Peter said, uh, we've, we've toiled all night, we've caught nothing, but nevertheless at thy word I will. You remember the story? How that he goes out there and he puts his net in that deep water which is against fisherman's intuition. Fish are caught in the shallows, not in the depths. But he goes out there and does it anyway. And they pull in a drop, fill up two ships worth of fish. Similar thing happened. And the fish were caught, uh, uh, fish were uh, filled the boat, a draught of fish, a boatload of fish were caught. And in each case, Jesus was Jesus' intention to give them a boatload of fish. Uh, listen, they may have been hungry. But a few fish would have satisfied that. This was a boatload of fish in both occasions. Was Jesus trying to give them fish so they could go to the market and make a killing? Was Jesus giving them a boatload of fish so they can have for today, tomorrow, and maybe the next day? No. Jesus is giving them a boatload of fish to show them who He is. In Luke 5, Peter is amazed by all the fish and he looks up at Jesus and what does he say? Oh, don't look upon me. I am, a, I am undone before you. It is a recognition of who Jesus is. Peter's, Peter's approach to Jesus on that boat in Luke 5 was the same as Isaiah who was in the presence of God in the temple when his, when his train filled the temple and drove him to the ground. I am unclean. I am undone wasn't to give them a bunch of fish. It was to give them a clear view of the Lord. You see, the Jesus, uh, this, uh, uh, in the, the familiar result should have sent alarm bells off in their soul. They should have known, hey, this is not the first time this has happened. I'm, I remember something about like this happening before. It jogged their memory to past times of Jesus' ability, His strength, His, His sufficiency before. That's Jesus out there. I know that's Him. I may not have recognized His voice, but I recognize His results. Listen, it's Jesus. It's Jesus is near. He's here. The cure for the Christian self-life is the presence of Christ. He's knocking. He's calling this morning. Why not let Him in? You know, in Revelation chapter number 3, Jesus wasn't knocking on de the devil's door. He was knocking at the church's heart. Let me in. I'll sup with you. I'll sup. You sup with me. We'll be together. I, I'll be your sufficiency. Here we need Christ. We need Jesus. We need the powerful resurrection presence of the, of the driving reality as a driving reality in our life. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We need that familiar result. Every one of you should know, you know, those first few days. I believe God gives us those first few days of the Christian life as a, as a benchmark for walking close to Him. I'll never forget, man, I got saved. March of 20, 1994. I mean, I got, I got born again on that road. I remember coming back to the school parking lot. I was, crying tears 
in my face and I come upstairs, I'd been crying. My buddy, six foot seven, Clay Davis, was coming down the stairs and met me and saw his best buddy crying. Man, what's wrong with you? I grabbed him around the waist. Ah, I got saved tonight. He's like, all right, let me go. Amen. Went up to my room and called my youth pastor, called my mom and dad. I remember those next few days. Buddy, I mean walking on air. Good night. Jesus had saved me. He had... He had changed my life. I had known a joy and a peace and a fulfillment I'd never known in my life. That's a benchmark. Because when we get in that self-life, the only thing that's going to wake us up is to remember what God did in the past. And He can do it again in the presence. I can know His power. I can know the joy of Jesus once again. It recalls this instance into their life, this familiar results to prove the clarity Jesus is saying. It's me. It's me. I'm here. A familiar result, a frantic return. Look at verse number 7. And it was the Lord. And now when Simon Peter heard it, it was the Lord. He girt himself, uh, he girt his... Uh, a fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked and, and did cast himself into the sea. Here, boy, he's, he's all up ready to see Jesus, isn't he? It seems that it is John that puts the pieces together. You know, time and time again in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He did that in this verse. The one whom Jesus loved recognized, hey, it's Jesus. I know that's him. Whether it was the timbre in His voice or the echo of Jesus' power represented in the past, in this present moment, or from the past in this present moment, John who leaned on his head on Jesus' bread, it's, it's the Lord. That's Him. I know Him. He's the one that does this kind of stuff. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's here. Upon hearing this, Peter dives into the water. Notice the text said that he was naked. That doesn't mean... He was buck naked or whatever. That means that he had basically an undergarment on. He was out there in the trade of fishermen. You, you try to swim with a tunic on. You fall in that boat, you'll drown with that tunic on. They it reduced the number of clothing on him. Maybe wrapping things up and, 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 and not having much clothing so that he can be flexible in that boat. It wasn't buck naked doing uh, uh, something he shouldn't. They don't get that from the text. He was working here. And it was, you know, a religious matter was in the Jewish mindset of an encounter, a greeting. He couldn't meet the Lord Jesus like that. He grabbed this fisher's coat, no doubt tied it kind of around his waist, dove right into the water. No waiting. Just left everything with everybody else. Just dove into the water to get to Jesus. You see, he said, forget about the fish. Forget about the nets. Forget about the boat. I've got to get to Jesus. Listen, when we're awakened from our slumber and of doing life on our own and roused to the powerful presence of Jesus, we can't help but be frantic in our approach to Christ. I've got to get to Jesus. Well, you ever been roused from the self-life and say, man, this is a mess. I'm a mess. I've got to get to Jesus. I've got to find Him. Come, come invitation time, you'll be one of those ones in the altar. God, I need you. you uh, that Monday morning, you'll be in that Bible, in them, in them gospels saying, man, Jesus, I've got to have you. I've got to need you. You'll be responding here 
It's a frantic return to Jesus. Listen, I've seen it a hundred times. I've seen it in jails where inmates realize their need for Christ and in heaving tears make their way to Him. I've seen broken homeless men seek uh, passionately for Jesus as refuge. I've seen church members laid low by the weight of a world make their way to the altar and cry out to Jesus for His sustaining power. Listen, Jesus is calling. You ain't got it all together like you portray before the people at church. You ain't got it all together. You're as broken, as needy as, as all of us and you need Jesus. Oftentimes I've heard it said, you know, that person, they're so wicked and say, well, they need Jesus. They just need Jesus. You ever heard something? They just need Jesus. Truth of the matter is, every one of us in here, I don't care how long you've been saved, how long you think, how many Bible verses you've memorized, you need Him. You need Him. Peter's, I gotta, I gotta get to Him. I can't wait any longer. I gotta get to Him. Here's Peter swimming his way back to Jesus. Jesus is calling out to you today. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if you just said, forget what my friends think. Forget what my wife or my husband thinks. I've got to get to Him. Whether it's in between one of these pews in our altar time, or you come down to this altar, or you break down in a, like a shotgun in the back bedroom when you get home. You get to Jesus. Swim any way you can. Get as fast as you can to Jesus. He's the only answer to the futility, the emptiness, the barrenness of your self-life. Listen for the interrupting call of Jesus. Look for the intentional clarity of Jesus. Finally, lean on the intense care of Jesus. Verse number 9, As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals, and there and fish laid thereon and bread. You know, this is the part that just really gets me. It just really, really cranks my truck. You know, I'm so prone to the self-life. If you ever got the idea that I've got it all together as your pastor, you are sadly mistaken. I'm so broken. So many times I've left Jesus behind in the muscle ministry of ministry, in the mechanical manufacture of messages, in the memorized mission of management. I think I can do it on my own. I've gone so far out there and come back so empty-handed, so messed up. You can't do it on your own. When I get tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired, there He is on the shore. (laughs) There He is on the shore. After you're done with your self-life, you come swimming your way back to me. I want you to know, I'm going to be here on the shore. (laughs) You'll never come. Listen, you'll never come to the shore from a self-life and it be empty. He'll be there. He'll be there. Fire of coals and fish and bread and sustenance that I need on that shore. He cares. Oh, how He cares for me. Notice Jesus' encouragement. Look at verse number 10 and 11. Jesus said, And bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes and 153. And for all, there were so many, yet yet was not the net broken. I don't know about you, but I thought this was odd. Why is Jesus so concerned about the fish that they caught? 
the emphasis is that they were loaded down, dragging the fish with them. You know, Jesus is not standing on the shore with folded arms tapping his toe. He didn't say, y'all get over here and eat now. I guess you're about done rebelling against me. Just come over and eat. I know you're hungry. Get over and eat something. No, he asks about the fish. Peter brings over that net load of fish. Did you notice the number 153? Buddy, you ain't talking... Listen, you want to send scholars into a frenzy? Put a number in the Bible. They'll try to find out what it means. There's all kinds of theories that all the 153 is, is 7 plus 10 and plus another amount and that is this and that's that and another this. And I mean, you'll find all kinds of Reasons why they think that 153 is in the Bible. To be honest with you, I have no idea. I know that the number of grace is 5, the number of the Lord is 3, the number of God's government is 12, but you get to 153, I ain't got, an, I ain't got a clue. I don't know what that means. One author seemed to suggest that there were 153 varieties of fish that they normally caught. And he seemed to suggest that Jesus brought every one of every different kind of fish he could into one net. Seemingly to say if the church is the net, man, everybody, every kind of person can fit in that net without it breaking. That, that every one of our needs is met. Whatever your need is, whatever kind of sustenance you need, Jesus is able, able to meet that need. But he's encouraging them. Hey guys, bring those fish over here. Show me. Show me what you caught. When you did it my way, show me what you got. Peter brings, look, look, Lord, look at all the fish that I caught. Never mind that it was His Word, His way, His timing, His direction. He's encouraging them. Boy, I, I tell you what, I sometimes I just need the encouragement of not you, I need the encouragement of the Lord. Ronnie, come here, show me. Show me that person that visited this week. Look, Lord, they come by this week. Somebody stopped in. Our efforts were, hadn't been in vain. That's good, son. That's good work. You're following me. You're doing what I've asked you to do. You know, when we do it our own way, we got nothing to show for it. We got nothing to show the Lord when we do it our way, when we do it our own thinking and our own way. We got nothing meaningful, nothing productive to show the Lord. Here, I believe He's encouraging them. C.H. Spurgeon said, notice, it is Christ's present that confirms success. We see Jesus' encouragement, we see Jesus' nourishment. Look at verse number 9, as soon as they come to the water, there was fire, coals, and there was and fish laid thereon in bread. Look at 12 and 13. Jesus said to them, come and dine. And none of the disciples just ask Him, who art thou? Jesus is saying, come and dine. Come and eat. When they arrived on the shore, Jesus had everything prepared. As the sunlight peeked over the waves of the sea, there on the shore were coals of fire and bread and fish. With weary and tired written all over their faces, Jesus calls them, Guys, come and eat. Come and eat. You've tried it on your own far too long. I know you're hungry. Come and dine. Come and dine. He had provided a table in the wilderness of their self-effort. Saw the psalmist asking Psalm 78, 19, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? I'd like to say, yes, He can. Yes, not only can He bring manna from heaven, He can bring fish and bread 
on coals of fire when disciples need it the most. Jesus, the most, the most filling aspect of His provision is His presence. Jesus is supplying just what they need. You know, He'll do the same for you. There you are in all your self-effort, in all your struggle. And this morning, Jesus meets you with a feast. Hey, where's your knee? What's your knee? You, you, you've, been, you've been trying it on your own so long. It's taken you so far from God. I want you to know Jesus is calling you. Come and dine. Come and dine on me. Come and dine on what I have for you. Come to my table. You'll find everything that you need on that, on that table. You see this morning, notice verse number 13. And Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Jesus is giving bread and fish to them. It's almost like the same scene where He girded the towel and washed their feet. Here Jesus is coming with a tray. Here, take this and eat. He's feeding them individually. Attending to every one of their needs. He's coming to you today. He's prepared everything that you need in Himself. Come and dine. You know, that's where we get that song. Verse number 13, come and dine. You remember that song we used to sing it? Come and dine, the Master calleth. Come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude turned the water into wine to the hungry calleth now. Come and dine. Are you hungry? I'm not talking about for Sunday afternoon dinner. I'm talking about the end of your self-life. The end of doing it on your own. The end of finding your own way. Oh, He's prepared a table. Come and dine. Come and dine. Jesus' encouragement. Jesus' nourishment. Jesus' accompaniment. Look back at verse number 1. It says, after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Look at, you see, the, the, the chapter prefaces, is prefaced by the saying that this was another occasion when Jesus, the resurrected Christ, revealed Himself alive to His disciples. You know, John is going out of his way. He is stumbling over himself to prove that Jesus was no apparition. The Gnostics of the day said that Jesus was a spirit, that he floated around as a spirit to his disciples. Modernists will say that he was an illusion, he was a, an apparition, something they wanted so bad that they saw. John is going out of his way, stumbling over himself to say, you know, not only did Jesus appear to him in the upper room and Jesus appeared to him on a mount, Jesus appeared to him on a shore and cooked dinner for him <laughs> and fed him. None of them asked who it was because they could see it was Jesus. He was right there. They could see Him in the light of the coals of the fire. It's Him. It's the resurrected Christ ministering to their needs. They recognized Him. John 4, look at John 21.14. This is now the third time that Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. John wrote this was the third time that He revealed Himself. You know, once would probably have done it for me. I don't know about you. One time would have been enough. 
One time, Jesus showing me the scars in his hands, the, the, the hole in his side, the, uh, the, the score, the, the, the thorn-pierced brow of his loving face had been enough. I'd been signed and sealed and delivered, lest I, I'd like to think so. Even twice, a second time would have been plenty. But here, John goes out of his way. You know, Jesus came a third time to him. A third time. Jesus goes out of his way to go to his errant disciples on a third occasion. That ain't nothing but grace. That ain't nothing but grace that Jesus come to you and knock on your heart and tell you this morning, you need me. You need to live life my way. Because where you're heading is filled of emptiness and darkness. Some of you here this morning are lost. And he says the same thing. You, you keep going your way. You keep heading down a path where you think you can handle it. You are heading to eternal darkness and emptiness and torment. You need to come my way. You need to come. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know, I've stopped counting how many times that Jesus has rescued me from myself, my self-will, my self-wants, and has brought me to a flaming table of provision and shown me that He is indeed all I need. How many times do I have to sail away on a vessel and say, I go fishing. I will do it on my own. How many times do I have to come back empty-handed and swim my way back to Jesus only to find everything I need in Him. Everything I need in Him. Today, He's calling. Today, He's instructing, He's inviting, He's nourishing. In love and grace, He approaches you in your self-life. Saying, come and die. Come and die. Why would you keep drawing back empty nets when everything I need is in Him? Why would I keep chasing dreams that are empty? Why do I keep grasping at mirages on the horizon when everything I need is here? Is here. Why do I keep reaching for the next thing, the next fad, the next book? Have you ever seen how this world does? It gives you bottle after bottle of, of that which only makes you more thirsty and more thirsty. Oh, when He's everything I need, He's everything you need. You need Him today. You need Jesus more than ever. Your self-life is going to bring you empty nets and dark nights. Come. Jump out the boat if you have to. Do whatever you can. Get to Jesus. Get to Him this morning. Let's all stand to our feet. <laughs> Come to a song of invitation by the Kevin Sister Delcy. Every head bowed and every eye closed. A morning feast. A morning feast that some of us are needing.
You're in a dark hour right now in your life. You've got so many needs. Your desires are so unfulfilled. I want you to understand that the image that you have of yourself that Satan loves to parade in front of you is not a correct image. It's distorted. He cares for you this morning. He loves you. He loves you. He's calling children, children, child, son, daughter. You have any meat? You have what you need out there? Are you finding what you need? No, Lord, no. Why don't you do things my way? Why don't you cast your net on the other side? Why don't you cast your lot with me? Why don't you come to my table that I've made for you? Why don't you come? Why don't you come to Jesus today? A self-life is so empty. A self-life is so void. Come and know Him. Knowing Christ is an, in an unsearchable depth of everything that I need. Come, know Him this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, touch hearts. God needs this morning. Father, You're active and working through the power of Your Word. Convict lost sinners. Convict those that are completely enveloped in a self-life to make their way to Jesus as fast as they can. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm trusting to We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand